It happened in the jungle one day. A lion with a big ego decides he's walking around and he's gonna ask the other animals in their face, who's the king of the jungle? So his first animal was a little monkey and he went to the monkey and he roared like, hey monkey, who's the, the king of the jungle? The little monkey said, oh, oh, I want no trouble. You are, Mr. Lion. You are, with fear in his voice. Then the lion went to a zebra, and he said, who's the king of the jungle? No doubt about it, Mr. Lion. I ain't trying to argue. I ain't trying to. You are. Seeing a turtle crossing the road, the lion says, who's the king of the jungle? And as the little turtle went into his shell, in here you hear, you are, you are, from inside the shell. The lion came upon an elephant, and once again, he puffed up his chest, and he looked at the elephant, and he said, who's the king of the jungle? The lion looked down, and his trunk grabbed the lion by its tail, began to spin him around, toss him over several times, smashing him back and forth, back and forth, and finally threw him into a large tree. Dazed, beat up, hurt, and dirty, the lion gets up and he says, just because you didn't know the correct answer doesn't mean you had to be all uh, mean about it. It took me a long time to find that, to have something to do with the decor and the message. It was hard. <laughs> we are in our fourth Sunday, as we are in our series called Blessed Are The. Blessed are the, what we've been doing is we've been looking at the Beatitudes, which was a sermon on the mount when Jesus spoke. And, 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 um, and it's important because these are life-changing words. Life-changing words. Um, <laughs> we see that uh, we've gone through the first one and the second one. Today we'll be looking at the third Beatitude. But as you know, I'm going to read the whole thing. So verses 1 through 12, let's get into it. Matthew chapter 5. And seeing the multitudes, he went up on a mountain, and when he was seated, his disciples came to him. Then he opened his mouth and taught them, saying, Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are those who mourn, for they shall be comforted. Blessed are the meek, for they shall inherit the earth. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they shall be filled. Blessed are the merciful, for they shall obtain mercy. Blessed are the pure at heart, for they shall see God. Blessed are the peacemakers, for they shall be called sons of God. Blessed are those who are persecuted for righteousness' sake, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are you when they revile and persecute you and say all kinds of evil things against you falsely for my sake. Rejoice and be exceedingly glad for your great, for great is your reward in heaven, for so they persecuted the prophets who were before you. Amen. Praise God. So we're looking at verse 5 today, which says, Blessed are the meek, for they shall inherit the earth. We've looked at blessed are the poor in spirit, blessed are they that mourn. Today is blessed are the meek. 
Now, in the last couple of weeks, we've seen that these Beatitudes are like blessed paradoxes. And I'm going to, uh, what a paradox is, so you understand what a paradox is, is a seemingly crazy or self-contradictory statement, right, or proposition that when you finally investigate it, when you research it, it comes, you realize that it's actually true. So a paradox is something that seems crazy absurd. Like there's no way this can be. There's no way this is right. But after investigation, it's proven to be true. In other words, what Jesus Christ does is he uses these descriptions to tell us what Christians should be like. What a citizen of heaven should be acting like. The way Christ desires for us to live. This is, this is what he's saying. Like he's saying, if, if you are saved, if you are my child, if you are part of the kingdom of heaven, then these, attri- then, then these attributes of the Beatitudes must be active in your life. They, they should be real things. So I know we've been going through some which have been eye-opening, right? As we're going through it, it's eye-opening like, oh, I didn't know that's what it meant. I didn't know that's what he was trying to tell us. So, so, th- so what we're doing is now that we're understanding this together, right, then it should be something that is a part of our lives from, now, from, from this day forward. And the reason why it's a paradox to us is because when we hear Jesus say these words, we're realizing that they sound crazy because it goes against what this world teaches us. Do you understand? It goes against what they teach us. We remember that Jesus said, blessed are the poor. Well, the world that I live in, it says, blessed are the rich. Right? The next one was, blessed are those that mourn. The world I live is blessed are those that are happy and joyful all the time. And so what happens is, so what happens is we, are, we are conditioned by the world. We are conditioned to see things almost contrary to what God desires. And this is why it's important that, you, that we make an effort to have a consistent relationship. You ever have two friends in your life? You spend the same amount of time with both of them, and it's kind of like a balance. But all of a sudden, one of them goes away to college, or one of them goes away to the military, or one of them goes, moves far away. All of a sudden, you find yourself with just the other friend. Now, all of a sudden, after years of being with this one friend, you get reunited with the other one. But in the conversation, you find that you are almost similar and influenced by the one you've been hanging around with, right? This is why it's important because we are exposed to the world on a constant, daily, all-day basis. If you are not making an effort, a conscious, intentional effort to be in a relationship with the Lord, to talk to him, to, to, to hear from him, to seek him, then what's happening is you are spending more time with the world. You will be influenced by the world. Your thoughts will be worldly thoughts. Your feelings will be worldly feelings. And so this is why it's important. You know, this is why. I don't, I don't be bugging y'all to come to stuff just to come to stuff. Okay. Blessed are the meek. Another statement that goes against what the world teaches us. The meek. Like weak? Like a wimp? Is that what you're talking about? 
when we see these words, we almost like, wait, wait, what did you say, Jesus? Did you say blessed are the first? But rather, he said, the last shall be. He said that it's better to give than to receive. He, he, he promotes dying rather than living. Losing rather than finding. He said something about the least in the kingdom of heaven will be greater than the greatest down here on earth. These all sound like backward statements to the world that we live in, right? Wait a minute. It's better to serve than to rule? Hmm. We know that what the Lord Jesus taught in this passage is the exact opposite that enters the heart of every person that is born into this world. If you really think about it. Even some of us, we cringe when we hear some of these. Even some Christians are like, "Ah, God ain't through with me yet. I'll get there. I'll get there. Because it's true. We're human. We live in this fleshly container. So guess what? There are times that you're going to be like, I don't know how I feel about this. Now, you know what? The good thing is it doesn't really matter how you feel about it. It matters what his word says about it. So now, if you know how you feel, that's the first step. My name is Vince, and I'm an alcoholic. That's the first step, not knowing how you feel. The next step is saying, okay, that's how I feel. I'm going to give that to you, Lord, because what I want to do is surrender my life to you. Right? What's in the mind of most men, most men and women, right, today, they want to be their own God. They want to be their own God. You know, we want to be our own boss. I mean, listen, I get it. Especially after COVID nights, after COVID, right? After 2020, there are so many people hiring because everybody is making their own money somehow, right? There are so many places hiring. You go to a restaurant, you wait in double than what you usually we wait in. She wanted to join me. She wanted to come up here and come with me. There's so many, like you go to a restaurant, you used to wait 10 minutes. Now you're waiting 25 minutes. I mean, after you sit down, you're already in your booth, and you're like, okay, we're going to eat. No, you're not going to eat because that one waiter has this whole side of the restaurant because they need to hire more waiters. But nobody wants to work because after, after the pandemic, people realize like, oh, I can make money doing this. I could, I, could, I could make this craft and sell this and do this, which is, which is great. Which is great, and, and that's, I'm, not, I'm not backing that. But what's happening is, um, in, 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 in spiritually, what's happening is we want to do the same thing. We want to be our own boss. We want to be in control. We want to make our own decisions, right? Now, it's... <laughs> I'm trying to tell them. I'm trying to tell them right now. What's happening is this, right? Can you imagine the people that Jesus was talking to right there, the Sermon on the Mount? They, they probably had the same mindset. Most likely they had the same mindset because they were human, right? Because, um, they, they, you know, most of them, let's talk about some that may have been there, right? You know, they, they may have seemed spiritually proud. They were proud. They knew how to be self-sufficient in some ways, you know, they, they, they were walking around, and, and they knew how to be religious. 
They knew all the ways that would make them, you know, see good. They know how to, you know, raise their hand at the right time, put it down, clap. They, they knew this. Some of them in that crowd thought they were the in-group. They thought they were the only group that mattered and that they would inherit heaven and that they would be the ones that would survive it all when it all came to an end. Like, there's people that had that mentality. And you say, well, how do you know the people that were there? Well, we understand that there were different types of people listening to the Sermon on the Mount. There were a mixture of all types of people. And you best believe that mixed in the crowds were Pharisees, Zealots, Sadducees, and Essenes. What the Lord, so what the Lord said in verse 5, right, he probably was like, yo, blessed are the meek. Because there were some people in that crowd that definitely were not meek. You see, the Pharisees believe that they, that they, Pharisees, those that have gone to the proper schools, those that were come from the proper families, those that wore the proper clothing, those that all had all this, they, they thought that, that this group, that this group, they, that they, they thought they were more than just a regular Jew. They thought they were above everyone else. They thought that this is the group that would inherit all that. They believed that, they, this group believed that God, right, through his Messiah, was going to supernaturally bring his kingdom, right, upon the earth. They didn't, they didn't really think too much that it was going to be by military force, but they knew that the Messiah supernaturally somehow was going to deliver them from Rome. That's what they believed. And at some point, at one point, even the disciples believed that. Acts 1, chapter, chapter 1, verse 6 says, Therefore, when they had come together, they asked him, saying, Lord, will you at this time restore the kingdom to Israel? Like, hey, so when, when are we going to do this? Lord, are you going to bring some kind of supernatural thing eventually and, and, and your kingdom upon the earth? Is this going to happen? But they were blinded at the time. They didn't really understand. So Jesus, right, he's intentionally trying to teach them throughout. We see this in the scripture. We see this in John 18, 36, when he says, Jesus answered, my kingdom is not of this world. If my kingdom were of this world, my servants would fight so that I should be delivered to the Jews. But, not, but now my kingdom is not here. You see him explaining to them. Unfortunately, this wasn't good enough for the Pharisees. They don't want to hear this. They, 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 they don't want, about a, they don't want to talk about, no, they want it now. They want God's kingdom. They want to be delivered from Rome. They want to be free. So what they wanted is the earthly kingdom. They wanted it now. They wanted a Messiah that was going to do it now. And if it wasn't Jesus, then you know what? You're not the Messiah. They just wanted someone to bring them this deliverance supernaturally now. Then there was the zealots. The zealots weren't, uh, they weren't, they weren't like the Pharisees in the sense where they weren't willing to wait on the kingdom per se. You see, what they were doing is they were uh, 
if you want to look at it, they were kind of like a militant group. So let's say you take a Pharisee and you, throw, you put him through Marine Corps boot camp. And then the outcome is like a zealot. They were, they were militant. By any cost, they were willing to bring the kingdom of God to where they were at, at any cost. They, weren't, they didn't want to wait. They wanted to take the kingdom by force. They wanted to establish it with the rebellion within the state and then bring the kingdom of God to view. So can you imagine the, the scene here? You have a mixture of all types of people, but yes, in the crowd, you have these Pharisees, you have these zealots, you have, and all of a sudden, they hear this man who is supposed Messiah in their eyes. Like, we hear he's the Messiah. We hear, and he, they're listening to him speak, and all of a sudden, you hear him say things like, blessed are the poor in spirit. And they're like, uh, all right, what else are you going to say? You know, blessed are those that mourn. Like, this doesn't sound like words of deliverance. Blessed are the meek. Meek? <sighs> and the zealot, I can imagine the zealot saying, meek, meek? That's the last thing I'm going to be. We got to take, we got we to gotta put our foot down. We got to move forward. We got to take territory right now. Imagine in their mind what they were saying. What kind of Messiah is this? What kind of king is this? What kind of man is this? Is this the one who's supposed to deliver us? Look at all the things he's talking. He's soft. He's soft. He's supposed to deliver us? Can you imagine the mind, the thoughts in the crowd that day? They were probably thinking, like, what kind of, what kind of Messiah, what kind of deliverers, what kind of followers is this man going to attract? What kind of people are going to follow him? bunch of pansies and sissies think about it these don't sound like macho words these don't sound like you know like strong words you know you hear some words you're like ooh, that's strong that's tough that's deep you hear words like this you're like what's the deal you're supposed to be this powerful deliverer that don't sound like powerful words Then um, to actually then see the outcome and for them to see Jesus get captured and get beaten and then get tortured and then put on the cross. The mindset of, these, of some of these religious men were like, there was no way. Look at some of the words he was saying. Look at how he, be, he, didn't, he didn't stand up for himself. He, he didn't, nah, this can't be it. This is the Christ? This is the Jesus that supposedly was going to save us all? You see, these Jews, these Pharisees and Zealots, they didn't realize that God was choosing Christ and that he would not bring a king in the earthly sense that they ever imagined. Not yet, not at that moment. But rather, as it says in the book of Isaiah, right, in the, between the verses like 40 to, uh, in the book of Isaiah, it says the Jews ignore, the, that the Jews ignored that he would be Jehovah's servant. It says that he would be a servant. And they, they, came, they seem to ignore that part of it, right? As Mark puts it, he was coming into the world to serve, not to be served. So if they would have read their, if they would have read their scripture, they're like, you know, how, how is an earthly king 
Because, you know, the kings would be served. Kings would have uh, people doing things for them. But if, if we knew he was coming to serve and not to be served, it should have been an indication that something was going to be different. They missed the point entirely. They missed the point. It's the weak things, right? We'll say weak for now. And praise God today that we can say it's the weak things, right? God wouldn't, would not have chosen us. God would not be using us. God would not be taking us to heaven. We would not be ambassadors of the gospel if he didn't choose the weak things of this world. We say it. We agree. We can shake our head like, yeah, you're right. You know, he does. But do we really believe it? Sometimes we go through this thing where we feel like God needs superstars. Like, like we, we think God needs a superstar. And, and you ever notice when someone famous, really famous, gives their life to Christ? Right? Woo! We're excited. We should be. Right? But now we feel that now that this person is saved, that, that's what we needed for the kingdom. Right? We, we, you, see, you see our earthly, our earthly, our earthly thinking? We say that that person and his earthly influence will now be what the kingdom of heaven needed. I'm going somewhere. Keep with me. God does, we, we think that God needs superstars. He doesn't need that. What he asks is for meekness. Blessed are the meek. Approved are the meek. Accepted with God are the meek, for they shall inherit the earth. So I want to look at a couple things real quick. First, I want to say what meekness is and what it's not. Pastor, you're saying meek. I don't know what the word meek means. What is it? First of all, what is meekness? Let me say this. Meekness is not. Let's start with that. Meekness is not weakness. It's not weak. Meekness is not wishy-washiness. Weakness is not to be indecisive. I don't know. Whatever you want. Well, no, we, no, no, you pick. No, I pick. No, you pick. That's not meekness. Even though my parents call me controlling because I refuse to fall into the, you pick. No, you pick. No, I'm, I, this is what we're going to do. Why do you think you always have to pick? Because if not, we'll be here for 45 minutes. I got places to go. I got things to do. I want to eat already. <laughs> what you want to eat, babe? Anything. Okay, anything? We're going here. No, I don't want that. You said anything. That's the struggle us men live with. But not me. Not me. You, you men. You men, not me. I mean, she, she doesn't struggle with that at all. <laughs> Meekness is not to be timid. It's not to be unsure of yourself. That's, what not, that's not what meekness is. Meekness is, is, is not even, meekness is not even being polite or naturally kind or nice. It comes with it, but that's not really, that's, that's not exactly what it is. Many of you guys have pets at home, right? And some of them, some of them, Oneida's dog is not so nice, but some of them, I know. She don't, she, I, I haven't won her heart yet. I haven't won her, her heart yet. 
I know, I, I don't give enough kisses and hugs or something. But some of your animals are so nice, so polite, right? But you wouldn't say, you wouldn't say, oh, your dog is so meek. Just because it's kind and polite. Meekness is not cowardness. It's not spinelessness. Okay? Just because you're a Christian doesn't mean you're supposed to let people walk over you. All right? Very important. It's it's not a willingness to have peace at... um, at any price and cost. That's not even, not even that. It's not simply um, good manners or um, it's not shyness. It's not the opposite of extrovertness. It's, it's not. Some dictionaries define meekness as a deficiency in courage. Uh, like America, like, you know, some, uh, you know, dictionaries today. But let me tell you this, doesn't matter what the English dictionary says about meekness, within the word of God, meekness is not a deficiency in courage. It's not. It's not what it means in the word of God. So what does it mean? Well, if you look at the word of God and you look at the Greek word for meekness, it simply means to be gentle. And that's why sometimes you see in all the verses, some of you guys were reading in your own Bibles and you, instead of meek, you saw gentle. It means to be humble it means to be considerate. It means to be courteous. In fact, it's related to the first, it's related to the word poor in the first Beatitudes, right? Blessed are the poor. But it's a little bit different in this emphasis. In Greek, it was used by three types of people, the word meek, the, the Greek word meek. At first, it was used by doctors, and it was used by sailors, and it was used by farmers. The doctor would use the word meek to describe a soothing medicine that would take away pain. The sailor would use the word meek of a lovely, cool breeze that they would experience that would bring freshness. The third, the farmer would use the word meek to describe a strong donkey that is broken and able to be used. When I say broken, doesn't mean that they don't work, meaning broken in that you can actually use it, tamed. So a donkey that was tamed and able to be used that was useful in the farm. So if you look at this and put them together, the ABC definition of this, right, right, of this word, meekness, is simply power under control. Power under control. Submitted power. Power. Now get it. It's power under control. What do I mean by that? Well, the doctors, they use medicine, right? Doctors use medicine, um, but they don't abuse them. What happens when you abuse medicine? Addiction. They wreck your mind. They wreck your body. They wreck your family. They control your life and they end up, end up destroying you. That lovely breeze that the sailors talked about, right? When a lovely breeze is not under control, what do you get? Tsunamis, tornadoes, all sorts of crazy things, right? Destruction. When you have 
winds that are not under control, but yet winds are powerful and have the ability to destroy structures and buildings and things like that, right? How about uh, a horse, a strong horse or a donkey? We all know that a horse can be a dangerous animal. If you get kicked by a horse really hard, I mean, you could actually, you could die if you get kicked in the head a certain way. Like you, you could, you could, it could kill you. But a tamed and broken in horse is the, the, one of the best assets that you can have if you were a farmer. It would, it would pull things for you. It would carry you. It would, you know, and some people have, you know, they, they talk to them. They kiss them. They hug them. All sorts of stuff. Their mouths are just way too big for me to be close. For me to be anywhere close to the face of a horse is too much. So what does it mean for a Christian? It means simply this. It means that we need to be self-emptying, right? It means that we need to have self-humility. It means that we need to um, have self-brokenness before God. We need to put death to ourself. And we need to uh, put ourselves in his hand. To understand this beatitude, we have to see it in the sequence that is happening. Again, Jesus isn't speaking in a certain way just to speak in that way. Everything has an order. Everything has purpose. Grammar in the Bible has purpose. Punctuation in the Bible has purpose. We learn from it. That's when you study. Listen, who was that Bible study on, on Thursday? Come on. How we spent almost two hours on five verses? Because we were studying the word. We were studying. We were, we were diving into it. Everything has purpose. Everything means something. To understand this, right, we got to see the sequence of the Beatitudes. We, it's like a chain. It's like a, a chain of effect, like a row of beads. Each one is interlocked. Each one is joined together. So they need each other. You need to be poor in spirit. And that was the first Beatitude, right? To be poor in spirit. What was that was? To, be, to understand sin. And understand, your, understand that we're sinners. We've done wrong in the eyes of God. That we're broke. We have nothing of, fi- of, of value to give him. Right? And that's an intellectual knowledge. That's something that we can say, okay, th- you know, poor in spirit means this. The next, the next we said was, blessed are, the, are they that mourn. So this is a moment when that intellectual knowledge, when that, when that information is not just information. The second beatitude is when that information begins to have change in your life. Blessed are those that mourn. This is when, this is when you, that, that the information goes from your head down to your heart. And you begin to actually mourn and break over the sin. Do you understand? You see how we're going? Blessed are the poor in spirit. You understand that you're a sinner. You understand that you got nothing to offer. You understand that, that, that you're, you're, you're spiritually broke. An understanding. But then next, when that understanding goes into your heart, the understanding causes an emotional change in your life. And it causes you to break. It causes you to mourn. I'm a sinner. And now, because I know I'm a sinner, it's causing a reaction in me. It's causing an effect. Now, the third says meekness, and it's simply this. 
It's being willing to be seen as sinful, willing to be seen the way that God sees you and the way other people actually see you. I know I'm a sinner. I know I have nothing really to offer. I know I'm broke. That goes down and, ah, I sinned. It's breaking my heart because I know it's breaking God's heart. This and that. Meek is, uh, is understanding that Carlos sees me, and when he sees me, he sees me as a normal man. That I sin, that I fall short. Knowing that God, and also understanding that God is seeing me as who he's seeing me. I can't change. I can't hide. I can't pretend to be someone I'm not. The word of God says that I'm a sinner. So I can get up, right? I can get up in the prayer meeting. I can get up on this pulpit. I can preach that I'm a sinner. We all, I, I can preach I'm a sinner. And, and I can say, or I can preach that I sin, right? I can preach that, that, you know what, I fall short. I get off the pulpit, and all of a sudden, all of a sudden, Lenny comes up to me, and he's like, <laughs> hey, Pastor Vince, yo, you're awful. You just sin all the time. You fall short all the time. And, every, and so he goes, and he's telling me, I mean, I just finished saying it from the pulpit. I just finished saying that I fall short. I just finished saying that I, I sin. I just finished saying this. I get off, and a couple days later, Lenny pins me in the back over there, and he's like, yo, I just want to let you know that you're a sinner. Like, you fall short. I, I don't, I don't want to hear that. Who wants to hear that? Who is comfortable hearing that? Why? Because all of a sudden, something inside of you starts to be like, whoa, 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 whoa. What you mean? Why are you talking to me like that? Why do you think you know me? Why do you think you know my life? We get defensive. Because all of a sudden now, it's affecting our image. See, I may say it to you. But now if you come back and say the same things to me, now there's a picture of my image. There's, you're attacking my image. Being meek. There's no, there's no response to trying to defend an image. Do you see what I'm saying? When we are meek, we do not defend image or the perception of others. All right, all right, all right, all right. I hope, I hope you're getting it. I hope you're getting it. All right, um, like, all right, let's, let's, look at some, let's look at some scripture, right, uh, or some, some scriptural examples. Abraham. Abraham in Genesis, right? In chapter 12, he was told by God that his seed, his seed, um, and remember, Abram means father, right? That his seed would uh, be many. He would be a father of many. Abraham means father of many. Now, can you imagine what it was like for Abraham living in a town where his name means father of many and he had no kids? Exactly. Exactly. Here is Abraham. God tells Abraham, you're going to have lots of descendants, right? And his name means father of many. And he's walking around town because, you know, everybody knew everybody's business back then. They had no social media. Everybody actually had to talk to each other. So all of a sudden, here they are, the whole town. Can you imagine them laughing? 
laughing and talking behind his back, right? There was even a time that even he laughed with his wife when God told him that they would bear a son because they were already beyond the childbearing years. Genesis 13, he had another situation, right, where um, <laughs> he's with his nephew and they're looking at land, right? They're looking at land and um, he's standing there and he already knows what land Lot probably going to pick. Like he already knows. But, instead, but as a meek man, he tells him, go ahead, pick whatever you like and I'll take whatever's left. Now, me and you wouldn't do that, number one. I'd be like, um, God told me that my descendants were many. God told me about being blessed. And so what I'm going to do is this, because he didn't tell you that. You're going to have this little um, waterfall right here, and I'll take the rest. Because I'm going to need it. Because God told me that I'll be a father of many and many descendants. Do you see there's a little, do you see how that could be a little arrogant? How that could be a little uh, opposite of meek. But Abraham, like those in Romans 10 and, and verse, uh, Romans 12 and verse 10 that Paul was talking about, are giving preference to one another in honor. We look at Joseph, and Joseph goes through the journey, and he ends up second to Pharaoh. Second to Pharaoh. He's ruling over the nation. And all of a sudden, there's a famine in the land, and his brothers have to go before Pharaoh's people to see if they can get any food. And guess who's in charge of the food? Joseph, the same guy that they threw into a pit, the same guy that they sold into slavery, the same guy that they did him dirty. They did him dirty. And this is the guy that's going to make the decision if they eat or not. Some of y'all already in your mind, like, they would have starved. Some of you guys thinking, like, well, maybe I wouldn't let them starve. I'd give them a little bit. But you probably would hold back or you would say something smart, you know. Oh, now you need me? After you abandoned me, after you sold me, now you want my help? That's what most of us would think some of us would do. But he didn't. He didn't. He was meek. David, David knows that Saul is after him. He wants to kill him. He wants to destroy him. And David spares Saul's life. He comes across him one time. He's asleep. He could have killed him at that moment. And he spares his life. It's his chance. Some of us would have been like, I would have took, out, took him out right there. Just like when you guys are watching a movie. You guys know when you're watching a movie and there's like this big fight or something. And then like they drop the weapon. And then they have a chance to get the weapon to finish the job. And then they don't. And you're watching the movie like, just get, what are you doing? Why are you not picking that up? You get, you get all into it like, that's all you need to do to end it. Some people thought like that too. David, all you had to do was kill him. He was right there. You had that. But he didn't. He just took a couple of things so Saul would know that he was there, but didn't take his life. 
Moses, Numbers chapter 12, verse 3 says, Now the man of Moses was very weak, more than all people who were on the face of the earth. Christ, look at Jesus. He was mocked. He was spat upon as he stood before everyone who would accuse him. As he looked down at the people that betrayed him. As he looked at the people that beat him, that tortured him. As he stood, as he hung on the cross in pain, bleeding, and everything, what did he say? Luke uh, 23, the first part of 34 says, Jesus said, Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do. That's, that's meekness. Now, I'll be honest, um, this whole uh, understanding meekness, it doesn't, it doesn't come naturally. Like, you know, I was raised in church, like, all my life, and meekness is something like you don't really talk about it. Like, we don't talk about what does meekness mean. Like, how can we live meek? And, and, and honestly, honestly, there was a long time that I thought meekness was being kind of soft. Like, I don't want to be soft. Like, I don't, I don't want to be like that. What, I got I to gotta be soft just so people can think I'm a Christian or be a good Christian? But when we read about Jesus, right, he was full of grace, he was full of truth, he was gentle, he was meek, and we see and we start to understand what meekness is, then we start to question, but if Jesus was meek, <laughs> well, what happened that day? Remember that day when... Uh, he brought out some whips and started kicking tables and flipping tables and all sorts of things. Like, how was that meek? How was that meek when you got Jesus destroying other people's things? Getting, and he was angry about it. How was that meekness? How was it meekness when Jesus stood face to face with the Pharisees, right? And he called them foxes, vipers, looked at them in the face. How is it meekness when he turned around and told Peter, get behind thee, Satan? How is it meekness? So we start to think, okay, well, if we're understanding what meekness is, how are all these meeknesses? How is it meek when Moses came down from the, I mean, the Bible says that he was the, what did it say? It said that he was more than all people who were on the face of the earth. So the Bible tells us that Moses was the meekest of them all. So how is it meek of Moses that when he comes down with the tablets and sees everyone acting a fool, <laughs> his reaction, his anger, his rage, how he responded at that moment. Like, how was that meek? He threw the tablets. God had just written them on, and he threw them in his anger, in his rage at that moment. How was that meek? The important thing of understanding is this. Meekness says, I will not defend myself, but I'll die defending God. There's a difference. There's a difference. I will get, we, we can get, uh, what's the word, um, righteously indignated to defend his word, to defend God. But when you start to puff up just to defend image or yourself, that's, then, then you've, then you've kind of like you've left, you've left the building. 
That's not what we're talking about here. Do you understand? Never defending your reputation. Never defending yourself. What are people going to say about me? What are people going to think about me, right? But instead, we turn it upside down, right? <laughs> you understand? Do you understand that some of us will go to the four ends of the world to defend your reputation? Some of you guys will go all out. Some of you guys will go on social media campaigns, like if you were running for president. Some of you guys will, like, you know, do group texts and chats, and, and, and you guys will, uh, some people will go out into the streets and, and, and let It doesn't matter. What I'm saying is some people will go at lengths to defend their reputation, but then speak against the God that you serve, and you walk away from it. That's not my battle right now. They want to speak against the word of God, and you stay silent. Well, I know I got to be meek. Oh, you wasn't being meek right now? When Christ's name is taken in vain, we say nothing. This is why. Isn't this why the Lord whipped them out of his temple? Isn't this why Moses threw those tablets when he saw? Meekness is power under control in such a way that you are silent when yourself is at stake. Like Christ. But you're like a roaring lion, like Elijah was on Mount Carmel. And that story, if you don't know it, was he was up there alone, hundreds of pagan priests. And he's like, no, I know who I serve. My God is real, and I'm going to stand here, even if it's by myself, to make sure that you guys see it. And he asked God to send fire, and God sent fire. So there are times that we are quiet, and there are times that we are like a roaring lion when God's name and reputation is at stake, that that's what meekness is, and that's what meekness is, is, is about. Secondly, meekness brings, uh, it, it says, blessed are they that they shall inherit, or the meek that they shall inherit the earth. Now, this goes against what Darwin says, right? Survival of the fittest. The, the mentality of survival of the fittest. This is survival of the meekest. In a spiritual sense, it's like having nothing but possessing everything. Having nothing but possessing everything. I have nothing, but if I have Jesus, Jesus only, that's all you need. The zealots, they wanted a military messiah, a militant messiah. The Pharisees, they wanted a miraculous messiah. The Sadducees, they wanted, <laughs> they wanted a, a materialistic Messiah. And Jesus, what he say? He says, you're getting a meek Messiah is what you're getting. You're not getting a militant. You're not getting one. This, you're getting a meek Messiah. 
And it's only those meek that will inherit the kingdom. We talked about inheritance in Bible study last week. We talked about inheritance that can't be changed, that can't be untouched, that when the stock market drops, it still has full value. Do you understand that in one day you could lose hundreds of thousands of dollars? You could be saving for 30 years, and that's your, your inheritance. And all it takes is one thing to happen in this world that you have no control over. And the thousands of dollars that you have put away can be gone. But the inheritance that's promised to us can never change. It, 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 can't, it can't be, it can't be uh, I don't know, what's the word when money... It can't be lost. It can't, it can't be, uh, it's not changed in, in value. It doesn't go down. It can't depreciate. Thank you. Thank you. In closing, I want to say this. How do you become meek? I want to just look at this for a moment. Psalms 37 verse 1 says, Do not fret because of evildoers, nor be envious of the workers of iniquity. The whole psalm is about this. How can the wicked be victorious? Who, who, who can be honest and say, I feel some type of way when I see wicked people seemingly blessed? Who, 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 who? Thank you. Thank you for the honesty. Because it's like, I don't, psh, we do the psh. Why? What's going on? That's not fair. Go ahead. What's happening? Throw, throw, throw Justin a mic so he could be like my, 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 my preaching flavor flave. <laughs> oh, God. How can they prosper and the righteous are walked over by the wicked. How could that be okay? How could that happen? The psalm teaches us that we are meek by our attitude to life. When we esteem others, and let this sink in, pay attention, let this sink in. When we esteem others, because I believe they are, for, they are uh, forgotten, esteem others better than yourselves is an attitude to have in life. That's something that we don't do as much anymore because the world that we live in, it's not your fault. It's, it's the influences of the world. And that's why I'm telling you to try to find a balance, right, of your walk to make sure that you are giving more in your walk with the Lord than what exposure to the world because what's happening is the world tells you it doesn't matter what, doesn't matter what Vanessa's going through. It doesn't matter what Wendy's going through. You got your stuff? You got your things right? You good? Because, you know, you just got to worry about yourself right now. You don't got to worry about nobody else. Airplanes, they teach you. Put the mask on yourself first and then help others. I get why they say that. Because if you pass out, you can't help nobody. I get it. But think about the concept. You're going to help yourself first so then you can help others. The only thing as Christians that we help ourselves with first 
is our personal relationship with the Lord, right? Spiritually, you need to help yourself before you can help someone else. But in this world that we live in, we're called to live selfless lives. When I live a selfless life, that means that your, 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 uh, your, your needs should be more to me than my own. That's what selfless means. Like, come on. Are we living selfless lives? Do the needs of others mean more to us than our own needs? It's hard. It's hard because we don't live in a world that teaches us that. The word of God, James chapter 1 verse 19, it exhorts us to receive engrafted word with meekness. What does this mean? To receive. <laughs> to, what does it mean to receive a word with meekness? There are going to be times that someone's going to approach you in life, especially if you are a part of a church that loves you. If you are a part of a church that loves you, someone in that church may one day go up to you in love and say, hey, brother, sister, you know what? I've been praying about you. I just want to talk to you about this, 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 and this. You know, um, you really need to make some changes in your life because it's not healthy for you. It's not, it's not good for your walk with God. It's not good for your family that they see you like this. And, and there's some correctiveness in those words that happen. When we're meek and we receive words in meekness, you're able to allow yourself at that moment to receive those words without becoming this defensive person that has to put up a wall because at that moment, you're so concerned with the image of what people think of you at that moment. Do you understand what God can do with someone? I mean, he did it with me. I was, I'm a knucklehead. And I know many people have corrected me throughout my life. God uses my wife to still remind me of things. You know, I'm like, hey, babe. And guess what? If she don't tell me, who's going to tell me? Who, who, who's going to tell me some of the strong things that I need to hear? But because of throughout my life, throughout my life, I've been able, and not all the time, there were times that I didn't, I did, I couldn't because my pride and ego got in the way. But ultimately, throughout my life, I've been able to grow, to change, to become wiser, to grow in maturity because of every step, every season when someone loved me enough to be like, yo, you wrong. You can't keep doing that. What you talking about? Bible don't say, you know how we use it. The Bible don't actually say, no, that's not edifying your life or the relationships around you. You're not bringing unity when you talk like that. You know, you're not, you're not supporting. As in, and so there's, 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 there's things that I learned because I was able to receive words in me, with meekness. I want to mention um, the attitude. The attitude um, that we have with our brothers and sisters when we're preferring one another in honor. We should do it in meekness. You know, there's going to be times that you don't agree with each other, right? 
Do you guys agree with each other all the time? <laughs> just about, Pastor. Just about. Maybe every once in a while we don't agree on stuff. Timothy, 2 Timothy 2, 24 to 25 says, A servant of the Lord must not quarrel, but must be kind to everyone. Be able to teach and be patient with difficult people. I'm going to read that part one more time. Be patient with difficult people. <laughs> Gentle, gently, which some, were, some versions say in meekness, instruct those who oppose the truth. Perhaps God will change those people's heart and they will learn the truth. Think about this. When we're having disagreements, when we're having disagreements, right? First of all, we're being told to be patient. Patience. But then it says in your response, it tells you, right? Instruct them gently, to gently instruct, in meekness instruct, meaning take a moment, be patient, right? Then when you begin to explain, you do it in a way where it's not condescending. You're not talking down to someone. You're not speaking as if you're better than them. You know, and, you ha and the way we speak, right, in meekness, in gentleness, there's a, there, there's, a, there's a chance there that God can use that opportunity. Because now what you have done is you have humbled yourself. You have swallowed pride. You are not allowing ego to take, uh, ego to take control. And in meekness, you are talking, instructing, and trying to explain. And God can use that opportunity to bring an understanding to the other person. You ever been in an argument and finally someone takes a, a step back and they're talking. And then now that they're talking, you start to listen. And now that you listen, you're like, oh, okay, I see your point. But you would have never saw their point. If both people would have, would have kept arguing. Because when you're arguing, you're just trying to defend yourself. You're not trying to hear the other person. But the second someone stops, brings their voice down, and begins to speak, you listen. And when you listen, you can understand. The same manner when we're dealing with uh, people, when we're with our brothers and sisters. Lastly, meekness is applied to our attitude with the unsaved. 1 Peter 3.15 says, But sanctify in your hearts Christ as Lord, being ready always to give an answer to every man that asks you for a reason concerning the hope that is in you, yet with meekness and fear. So we're reading that there's hope within us, right? You know what the hope is? What's the hope? Anybody. Jesus, right? We have that hope in us. We have Christ. We, have, we understand the gospel, right? And so with the hope within us, right, we're to present it with meekness. So I know that I have seen all sorts of ways in my life that the gospel has been preached. I've seen it preached in nice ways. And I've seen it preached in ways that I question. I'm like, is anyone going to listen to that? Now, I get it. Some people maybe need to be reminded that yes you are going to hell i get it but i wouldn't start the conversation with that you're going to hell really do you want and, and then and then we can get into a whole nother thing how conversion out of fear of hell is not true conversion like 
like, okay, we're not going to get into that today. But like people just accepting Christ to not go to hell is not what he wants. Okay, so that's something else. Excellent. Church, can you stand with me today? How do you know that you're meek? How do you know if you are meek? Here's a, a few questions that you can use to do a self-evaluation. A self-evaluation. Number one, do you have self-control? You cannot be meek if you cannot control yourself. Do you have self-control? Do you always obey the word of God? Do you make peace and not war? How do you respond to criticism? Think about it. Prayer team, can you start making your way up? Before leaving today, I want you to think about these things. When you are meek, you seek nothing for yourself. Being meek means seeking nothing for yourself. When you are meek, we understand that God gives us everything. So if I'm meek, I'm not making it about me. I'm not trying to get mine. I'm not trying to do all these things. But yet, when I'm meek, God has given me everything. According to the scripture, my inheritance is this earth and not this earth now, which was another thing I didn't really mention, but not the earth that we see in front of us now, but a renewed earth. Earth, beautiful, sinless, perfect. It's not about the one with the most followers is not the one with the most earthly power but the bible says that the children of god will inherit and the meekness means to to be finished with myself like i gotta be done with myself i got i gotta i gotta leave my pride at the altar i gotta leave my ego at the altar You know the saying that we've heard, we need to decrease so that he can increase. You heard that before? We need that in our life. Father God, I thank you, Lord. I thank you, Lord, for your word. I thank you, Lord, that as we continue this journey, Lord, you are speaking to us. You are teaching us, Lord, what your words on that mountain meant and why it's so important that we live by them. Father, I thank you for your word this morning. Look at those that are more watching or that are here that maybe have not accepted you, Lord. That they are in desperate need of a Savior. Father, I ask that you continue to bring conviction. Continue to speak to their hearts, Lord. Continue to remind them, Father God, that you desire that relationship with them. We thank you, Lord, for your word. And we thank you for what you're doing within our hearts. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen.